We've all heard the term digital transformation, but do any of us really know what it means? According to Tony Saldana, the president of Transformant, most people within the IT universe don't, and the confusion is causing a major issue for companies looking to embark on the process. Tony joined IT Visionaries to help bring clarity to the situation. He also discusses his book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, and the five-step process your company should follow when it embarks on its digital transformation odyssey. Enjoy this discussion. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries, and we are joined by special guest, Tony, what's going on? Thank you, Ian. A pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm super excited for this episode because you led a really interesting and long career at Procter & Gamble running IT, um, and we're going to get into a lot of that stuff. Uh, and you also recently released a book called Why Digital Transformations Fail, uh, which is something, you know, we talk a lot about digital transformation on this show, um, but we don't talk about why they fail a lot. So it's going to be an enlightening look for our listeners. But before we get into all of that, how did you get started in technology? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the short answer is by accident. <laughs> so uh, my education is, is, is actually mechanical engineering. And then an MBA in marketing and finance. Uh, and this was back home in India in the uh, mid-80s. And, um, you know, then when it came to find jobs, I, I found that, you know, um, most of the jobs in the market, even those days, were in technology. And, and so I was like, oh, you know, maybe I missed something in there. Maybe I shouldn't have had my roommate do all of my uh, IT assignments. And so I decided to get into the, uh, the IT field. And then just a few years later, you know, you're running IT for uh, for Procter and Gamble. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, how you got involved in, in the org. Yeah, so I um, so coming out of uh, uh, school, um, I, I started to, you know, at, at the at the bottom level, so programming, software development type of stuff. And I worked for about five years with uh, a, a two subsidiaries of Unisys Corporation, which. Um, once upon a time, used to be the the uh, uh, third largest computer company in the world, and um, so after that, and some of that was in the U.S. And then I went back to India and joined uh, Procter and Gamble there. Uh, I had the uh, uh, privilege of working there for a short period of time, and then uh, I got shipped out to Japan, where I uh, uh, had different assignments there, mostly on R&D and marketing type systems for the region. Uh, and then um, came back to India as the CIO of the India subsidiary, and then uh, subsequently uh, was shipped out to Singapore to, to run uh, uh, IT infrastructure for the whole region before moving to Cincinnati, which is the headquarters of PNG in 1999. And then a whole bunch of different assignments, including um, 
program managing the outsourcing of uh, two-thirds of IT and shared services for PNG in 2003. This was a 10-year, $8 billion deal and, and kind of um, kicked off the whole outsourcing wave in shared services in the industry. Uh, and then some more different roles. Um, I was in Boston uh, as the interim CI of the Gillette company when PNG acquired Gillette. Uh, Gillette was a $10 billion sales uh, company in 2005 and uh, had the opportunity to run the integration of Gillette into Procter & Gamble. And then some more operational roles running IT and shared services in different regions of the world. Um, before about five years ago, when I realized that, um, you know, although Procter & Gamble's IT and shared services was considered to be uh, very good, was in fact considered to be best in class, that um, our real competition, which is what I realized, was no longer other large companies or their uh, technology organizations, but uh, startups uh, and, and the way they operate and, and their incredible amount of effectiveness of efficiency using digital, which is, which is essentially what uh, led to the convergence of you know, all of the roles of IT and shared services into this you know, strategy of digital transformation. So it seems like you know, in your 27 plus years at Procter & Gamble, you oversaw you know, a ton of digital transformations internally. You also sat on a bunch of customer advisory boards, um, from a number of different companies, like you've seen a bunch of this stuff and, uh, and you know, when you left, you decided to start your own company. Why did you do that? Oh, I, I, um, I always wanted to do that. I mean, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, and, uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was, um, you know, take the opportunity to, to, uh, essentially not just, you know, kind of put some of the things I've acquired. Uh, at Procter and Gamble and elsewhere into practice, but then, you know, also um, I am absolutely convinced that we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, which is, you know, like any other industrial revolutions, um, this is incredibly disruptive. I mean, it's not just disruptive for companies, but it's disruptive to people and societies and governments. And so, the 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 opportunity here is to take some of my lessons and learnings, uh, and in many cases, you know, making tons of mistakes before figuring out what's, what's uh, possible, and then offering that as a capability. And so a lot of the work that I do today is I help, um, you know, Fortune 100 companies, their boards and, and their CXOs uh, set up digital transformation strategy. But then I've also started to work with um, governments and, and organizations and then even uh, individuals uh, to help them navigate uh, what's going to be an, 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 an incredibly disruptive era. Yeah, Tony the uh, the Sherpa uh, navigating the treacherous <laughs> mountain passes of uh, of digital transformation, and and you decided to write a book. So for our listeners, you know, if you if you haven't read it yet, go check out why digital transformations fail. Um, because there's a ton of insights in there, and we're going to get into a few of them now. Um, again, you were, you know, managing a two billion dollar organization and saw just about everything that you could imagine. Um, why do digital transformations fail? The surprising answer to that, if I could get it down to one word, 
is discipline. Um, and it may sound, you know, a little funny, but um, I, I try and draw the analogy, you know, not to oversimplify this, but I try and draw the analogy with, uh, you know, Lewis Carroll's uh, famous book, you know, Alice in Wonderland and, and the specific conversation between Alice and the, um, the Cheshire Cat, where Alice says, you know, which way should I go? And then the Cheshire Cat says, well, it depends on where you want to go to and, and you know, the rest of the passage where she says, you know, I, well, I'm not quite sure where, and then he said, then it doesn't matter where to go. But the, the, the issue here is, you know, it may sound um, simplistic, but the reason digital transformations fail is twofold. One is, you know, language. Um, digital transformation is still a very, very fuzzy uh, term. And so if you're not really clear about what you're trying to do, you're not going to get there, right? as, as Alice in Wonderland. Uh, tells us. But then secondly, the discipline of how to get there, the execution, requires a very different methodology than what is used typically uh, across the world. What the world uses is good old-fashioned IT project management, uh, which is taught by the Project Management Institute and, you know, much of the training that, you know, you and I and everybody else went through over the years. Uh, and and that's that's fine, but that's um, insufficient because digital transformation is ninety percent an organizational change management issue and ten percent a technology issue, and so it needs to be um, strategically done differently and executed with slightly different methodologies than what the world executes today. And so those are the two reasons, and I and I boil it down to discipline: the disciplines of setting the right kind of goals by being extremely clear on what you're trying to accomplish and the disciplines of executing what is essentially organizational change. So I have a question for you. Well, obviously I'm asking the questions, but are we sure digital transformation is the right term even? Like, you know, I, I it's what something, obviously, you know, our amazing sponsor of the show, Salesforce, and we, we talk about digital transformation a lot. Salesforce works with a lot of people on their digital transformation. Um, but it always kind of, you know, strikes some people as funny because you're always going through a digital transformation, right? It's like, you know, going to the gym, right? You, um, you're kind of, your muscles are either atrophying or, or they're, or they're building, uh, but there's kind of no stasis. There's the, in that kind of process is, is this the right term? Um, because it seems like it definitely was the right term and, continues to be, but like, are we ever going to, is it stop? Do, do digital transformations stop in 10 years? Like, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that's, that's a very, very good point, Ian. Um, so, um, you know, look, here's the dilemma. I, I think the short answer to, is this the right term is, if I were to redo it, um, I would choose a different term, right? Not digital transformation. Um, but the dilemma we're left with is, you know, given that this is an industry established term, is it better for us to drive clarity, which is what I attempt to do in my book, where I basically, you know, uh, lay out a spectrum of four stages, everything from stage one, uh, sorry, five stages, uh, everything from uh, stage one being essentially what most people consider to be digital transformation implement the cloud, you know, upgrade to, you know, SAP HANA, you know, whatever it is, all the way up through stage five, which is what you were describing, which is 
a constant state of disrupting yourself. So you're never really done. Um, your goal is to get to stage five and to hang on to stage five, which is a constant state of disrupting yourself and getting to the next level, right? And, and, and my way of dealing with the dilemma was to essentially, you know, introduce the concept of stages so that uh, business leaders can get much more granular. So, you know, instead of falling for the next technology hype, you know, we got to do blockchain because blockchain is disrupting the world. And, and that's part of the digital transformation roadmap. I think what decision makers can do is say, all right, you know, uh, my CIO currently is, you know, at stage one or stage two. My goal is to work and along with the CIO and, and help them set this goal of, you know, stage four, stage five. And then, you know, let's get there, right? Um, and so the reason I dealt with this is because, um, you know, it's a very funny world that we live in, right? Um, we have no control sometimes over the terminology that the industry chooses. Um, the good thing and the bad thing about digital transformation is it's a widely recognized term. Uh, it's a $1.7 trillion industry. And when you work in the IT industry, as I have for over three decades, what you realize is you're in the game of constant change management. And when you're in the game of constant change management, you do have to do a good job of marketing, all, almost to the, the, the point of you know, living with hype because that's the only way you're going to get people interested. And that's really what's happened to the industry. That's why digital transformation is, quite frankly, an overhyped and a confusing uh, terminology because you know, everybody takes whatever they're doing and rebrands it as digital transformation. Now, be that as it may, if we can essentially drive discipline so that, you know, just like we have done with um, you know, MRP2, uh, by saying, okay, it's a process within the process. What are you talking about? Are you talking about demand forecasting or transportation planning? And then, you know, getting into the discipline of you know, specific processes within that. That's my hope, to take digital transformation and turn this into a much more successful enterprise um, uh, effort. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think one of the interesting things about you know, digital transformation is, is the word digital <laughs> because um, digital implies that things were analog and then they became digital. And now we live in a world where, of course, it's all digital now. Like every, every technology is everywhere. Um, so it's not kind of going from like zero to one, like the, the move from analog to digital from, you know, pieces of paper record keeping to, to, uh, you know, putting things uh, into computers, you know, was, was uh, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of the, the zero to one kind of moment there. And now it's about what it feels like is it's about the experience. It's about the employee experience. It's about unlocking creativity with technology. It's about leveraging technology to do things that previously were done inefficiently or inaccurately or, um you know, or with worse fidelity, it changes the nature of how employees are, it changes the nature of the relationship between, uh, you know, management and, you know, frontline people, like there's so many different things to unpack. Um, but yet, like your book says, 70% of digital transformations fail. Um, and that's a lot. 
And so you give a bunch of examples of that. So can you kind of share like what some of these examples of, of what this looks like in practice? Because it's such a nebulous term, but it's hyper specific to an individual company and each company is so different. That, that is absolutely true. And, and um, just to kind of back up a, a, a little bit, um, the, um, the, the, the reason, you know, why uh, 70% of digital transformations fail, as I said earlier, was because, it, you know, the term is nebulous and, and the methodology, therefore, that's being used is, is, is not um, disciplined, right? And so what I did was for the first problem, I tried to apply, you know, the principles of, okay, you know, let's categorize what the world thinks is digital transformation into five buckets, uh, into stage five, into five stages. So stage one is what I call foundation, it's automation. Stage two is siloed transformation. So this is where, you know, either one subsidiary in the company or one function says, I'm going to dramatically rewire myself. Right? Stage three is uh, partially synchronized. So this is a little bit like GE under Jeff email, where you start with the corporate strategy, but then you know the efforts are still not completely synchronized, and 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 often you know they don't make it. Right? Stage four is actually when you rewire the company, and and it's called fully synchronized, and and you essentially do change the way you operate internally into the digital world. But then you know as we said earlier on, that's not sufficient because the only you know best stage, if there is one in digital transformation, is one where you change the entire DNA of the company. So therefore, stage five is DNA, living DNA, where digital capabilities become the living DNA. You become like a Netflix, which has disrupted its own business model four times, from mail-in DVDs to you know, them getting into streaming media over a you know, crappy internet initially. And then you know, original content and you know, now international content all within 20 years, right? So, so this is when you, you become, you know, the, the, the enterprise that uh, sets the constant agenda for the rest of the world. And really quick, just to, to, to tap into the Netflix ex- example, um, I saw a talk with Gibson Biddle, who is their, I believe he's like their head of product. I forget. I think he was head of product. Um, and he was talking about those exact transformations that, that you were just talking about. And he said that the way that they did that was looking at things in five-year increments because like you overestimate what you can do in a year, but you underestimate what you can do in five years. And I always think about that for the CIO. It's like, yeah, that sounds great, except for the fact that I'm going to be fired in two and a half. (laughs) Like I need need to use five-year timelines to do something in two and a half, right? So there's that kind of of give and take there. But anyways, I I keep keep rolling. You said a very profound statement. And by the way, this one-year, five-year thing is is something that, you know, Bill Gates uh, has has also articulated very well, which is we underestimate what's possible, you know, in five-year 10 horizon and overestimate what's possible in one year. Um, but but this is really where you know I, I my my mission is to explain uh, to the world that digital transformation is the effort that the world needs to take organizations and individuals that were very successful in the third industrial revolution and rewire them so that they are successful in the fourth right. Uh, and, 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 and I'll get to the examples that you, know, you, were, you were talking about. Uh, but that context is important because once you start to redefine digital transformation 
as, you know, taking what made, you know, Procter & Gamble and, you know, all of our competition and, you know, Walmart and, and Target and, and everybody else, extremely successful, the business models, the, 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 the products, the, the, you know, the, the, the uh, ways of operating. Uh, and then you suddenly find that, hey, you know, that's not sufficient for you to beat an Amazon if you're a Walmart because their business model is totally different. You know, to your point about reward systems for their CEOs, well, unfortunately, Amazon's CEO has a different reward system than Walmart, you know, so on and so forth, right? And so then you, you, you start to think differently because this is no longer about, hey, can I upgrade <laughs> my, you know, email or my servers or my technology from A to B? It is about how do I change either my business model itself, so maybe, you know, physical to, to online, how do I change my products from dumb products to smart products, from you know, regular cars to smart cars, or from, in the case of Procter & Gamble, from regular toothbrushes to smart toothbrushes, right? Uh, and then how do I change my business operations itself? So, you know, instead of having thousands of people do accounting, you know, how do I change it so that I have a combination of people and AI and other kind of stuff, right? That's the rewiring that's necessary for digital transformations. Now, the reason why 70% of digital transformations fail, and I use tons of examples you know, from the past, you know, uh, using some from my own experience, but then also you know, providing experiences from GE, from you know, old examples from uh, uh, McDonald's, from you know, Denver airports. I even briefly touched upon what went wrong with the uh, Affordable Care Act uh, launch. And, and what I try and do is I link to specific disciplines, disciplines in execution or disciplines in goal setting. And then once you start to see why digital transformations fail, what you're left with is a checklist of how to make your digital transformation successful, which is my ultimate goal. Um, uh, I, I, I happen to love um, airplanes and and. So I was always fascinated by the you know, pre-flight checklist and, and the work that was done to improve the efficiency of the aviation industry um, and, then, uh, and, and, and also the, the, the reduction in the number of accidents and how that was reapplied in the medical industry. And so my goal has been, okay, can I at least take some of that and apply that to digital transformation because a 70% failure rate in the context of a, an industrial revolution is a terrible thing. So those threads and, and the discipline that you talked about, like what's one of those examples of like, you know, someone didn't have the discipline to, you know, do, do blank, wh whatever it is. Like, what are they underestimating? What is the thing like, are they, are they just out kicking their coverage? Like, do they just assume that things are going to be easier? I mean, like, you know, we just saw the other day with one of the, um, one of the elections um, that they used an app that was like basically, you know, a handful of junior devs that like, it was nowhere close to like a real product. <laughs> and, but people who knew nothing about technology were like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, again, that whatever that group was definitely didn't have a CIO. You know what I mean? Uh, they did not stress test it. They didn't do the things required. Um, and, and that's a huge problem, right? That's a problem for every CIO is like, you know, the CIOs are sitting there going, my CEO is not a technology person, you know, they still have a flip phone, you know, they're not, you know, uh, uh, and, and they didn't grow up with technology, or they don't love it. 
you know, and that's a very, very real thing. Um, so yeah. So anyways, what were some of those, those, those threads? Let me give you a couple of examples from the book, but I'd love to talk about the, 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 uh, the most recent example that you mentioned of, you know, what went wrong with this particular election. But, you know, in, in the book, I, I provide examples. So, you know, let me, let me take the Affordable Care Act, which um, the, 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 the portal, the system, initially, you know, went through a lot of trouble, but then eventually turned out to be extremely successful. And, and, and you know, it, 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 it is obviously brilliant in terms of, um, where it's ended up, but you know the the, the first few weeks of embarrassing um, uh, technology lessons um, are, are are instructive of you know one of the disciplines uh, out of ten that I call in my book, which is called uh, iterative execution. Right. So um, you know iterative execution, you know, in the industry is now known as you know, agile or, you know, any of the other uh, lean startup kind of stuff. And, and what people are talking about is, hey, you know, sort of the old fashioned big bang waterfall methodology, there are ways to, you know, work closer with the end user. So this is basically new ways of uh, user-based design and, and chunk up the work into iterative modules. And then, you know, hopefully then you're not really taking on a big risk, but you're taking on uh, iterated product development, and and that's very well known in the IT industry. But you know, for the CEO with the flip phone, um, who's basically looking for um, a a, um, a magic wand that says, "Hey, I apply technology, especially if you wow them with great technical terms, and I'm going to give you a system that's going to do all of this, a website that's going to roll out and be absolutely brilliant." They're very very eager to kind of jump in and say, "That's what I'm looking for." But by calling out iterative execution, you know, what I'm hoping to do is to arm the senior leader with enough understanding so that they're forcing their organization to say, okay, you know, are you looking for the big risk execution or the small one? So that's, that's one example. You know, another one that I talk about is, um, you know, how do you make sure that um, you are empowering your change leaders to do the kind of stuff that the, the, the tough calls that they need to make. In other words, in today's world, digital transformation is no longer a, a, a responsibility that you can delegate to lower levels in the organization. I strongly believe that the board of directors and the CEO have the accountability to do that. They don't have to have the technical skills to do that. They don't even have to run the project personally, but they cannot delegate. The over-delegation is one of the reasons why many digital transformations fail. And I give examples, including, you know, in the 1960s and 70s um, and, 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 and thereabouts, you know, some failed transformations to move the U.S. from the, um, uh, from the current uh, uh, system, the foot-pound system, into the metric system and what went wrong. And, and how government essentially did not provide the right kind of uh, change management empowerment to do that. Now, coming back to this you know, election example, it's a brilliant example in what we're talking about, right? Um, this was a project that was essentially sold as, we're gonna give you a piece of software that's essentially going to do it all, right? You're gonna be able to see in real time what's happening, you're gonna have Information flow back and forth, right? Um, the execution was anything but disciplined, 
Um, you know, you had people that had not really tested the whole product. You had, you know, customers who signed on to do this that really were not hands-on enough to know what they were doing. And we had execution that, I mean, people were not even trained, for God's sake, to actually use this, right? So everything that should have happened in terms of discipline did not. But that's essentially reality. I mean, that's a great example of why 70% of these efforts fail. I want to look at the lens of the CIO for a second. Um, part of the change with digital transformation is also the digital transformation of like the role of the CIO being fundamentally changed, right? Like you have the rise of the chief digital officer, you have the rise of, you know, the chief technology officer, you have the rise of, uh, you know, the chief data officer, and obviously the CISO and all that stuff. So it's the technology owner of an organization might be called a CIO, they might be called something totally different. Um, who owns technology for internal and for the employee experience versus technology that is customer facing is different. Like, how, did you study those things at, at all? What any thoughts on that? Yeah, in fact, um, one of the ten disciplines uh, in my book is you know what I call digital reorganization. Um, so here's here's what's happening. Um, those of us that you know are still in this industry. Um, are incredibly fortunate because this is an opportunity of historic proportions for, you know, uh, uh, companies like Salesforce or CIOs um, or even people like myself who are still in the industry because we are in the midst of the one thing that the world is saying I want more of in order to thrive in this industrial revolution. However, and this is the caveat, whether or not I am successful as a leader, as a CIO, as a CEO is critically gonna depend on whether I have upgraded myself, my capabilities to lead during an industrial revolution as opposed to lead in normal times. So those of us that used to be CIOs uh, like myself a long time ago, um, the game was very, very simple, right? You ask your business, what do you need in terms of driving scale or efficiency? And you found the absolute best solution and then you did a great job of executing it and exceeding expectations, and then you moved on to the next one. Well, so the game is changing now. Technology, you are the person that essentially is in the position of coaching your CEO, your board, on technology becoming an ingredient that changes the entire company. So the whole process of how you go about doing your role dramatically changes, you have to essentially become not the backroom technologist, you have to become the boardroom, the company strategy enabler, right? So part of what you're doing is you're working with the board, you're working with the CIO, you're showing them how your technology essentially drives the three elements of transformation. One is, you know, digitally enable products, so create new products, smart cards, or completely new business models, right? As I said, online versus physical, or 10X improved internal business operations. So, you know, instead of having people do call centers, you have a combination of AI and people do call centers, right? It is our job as the new CIO to essentially share with people and educate them on what's possible. And then of course, to lead the execution of that. 
The second role that the CIOs have is essentially to change the paradigm of you tell me what you need, I will control it all, and I will get it done. From there to essentially saying, there are some parts of my job that are absolutely sacred. They're governance, they're standards. Nobody's ever going to mess with that. But everything else, my job is going to be similar to that of the HR human resources officer, where I'm not going to tell the people what I do as an HR officer. I'm going to give you the people, and the people will do all the stuff for you. But there are some policies that I will own. And so the CIO's role becomes an enabler to essentially become, you know, like the, 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 the capability that is used everywhere in the company. And, and your job is to kind of build the capability so that every become, everybody becomes a technologist, right? And so it's a very exciting time, huge opportunities, but then we have to do a few things differently as leaders. Well, and I think like another piece of this is you're the expert on the board at technology. Like this, and this is a fundamentally difficult thing, like I was mentioning earlier, when you have potentially, as we've heard from some folks behind the scenes, um, a board that is technology averse, like in general, again, like flip phones, all that sort of stuff. Um, and your customers are the exact opposite, like, you know, potentially, uh, you know, born in digital, all that sort of stuff. Um, prefer digital experiences, all of that. And so you not only need to be like the conduit to like explain technology, which is just an awful experience to like explain complicated technology to people in general. Um, you need to do it to the people who need to make these really smart decisions. Um, and by the way, you need to have your ear to the street 24 seven to keep at the cutting edge. Um, so, and, and the idea of like vendor management is like its own job now for the CIO and, uh, and not just vendor management and, and governance and things like that, which have been around for a long time, but like, you know, just Mar the MarTech stack alone. Now the Mar CMO needs to have a technology capacity where they you know, have their, you know, ear to the street. So does your chief product officer. So does your salesperson. Like all of those people have to have a technology component to their organization. And some of them aren't built to do that. And so that needs to be you. Um, and that's a pretty hard task to say, you know, it's not really something you can outsource, you know? I mean, you can't really tap somebody on the team and say, hey, you know, give me my, yo, know, or maybe you could, um, you know, to give me my daily technology update of what's going on. I mean, you kind of got to subscribe to TechCrunch, you got to, or you Crunchbase or whatever it is. You got to talk to startups, you got to build internally. Like, what have you seen from like the cutting edge CIOs in their personal habits that create circumstances where they can better articulate and, uh, and find the technologies that can propel their businesses forward? So um, the, the, the great CIOs, and, and, and there's, you know, several of them. I, I, you know, I, I'm in awe of um, uh, some of the corporate leaders in our industry and the work that they do in working what I consider to be the three key levers of a digital transformation within their organization. One is, how do you educate upwards? The second is, um, how do you, you know, deal with this constantly evolving technology uh, landscape, you know, all the vendors and startups that you were talking about. And the third is, you know, how do you deal with a totally different level of expectation from the user? So, 
here's what they do on each of the trades. So on the first, which is how do they work with the board, they do a really, really good job of um, uh, you know, building enough credibility to essentially play a, um, and, and, and a, 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 what I call a shock and awe role with the board, right? So whether it, it, it can be in, in, in several different ways. It could be you know, bring in an external speaker who talks about how technology is eating the world, right? Or maybe organize a trip to Silicon Valley or you know, so on and so forth, right? So they do a good job of basically saying, hey, you know, the world is changing. Um, and you guys don't need to worry. I'm on top of it, but you know, here's the one or two things I need from you, right? So it's always an ask. And they do a masterful job of essentially using the shock, the shock and awe to get them to move, the board to move, and then going in with an ask and saying, okay, but all I need is this, whatever that this is. Right? So that's one. Um, the, the, the role vis-a-vis -vis the external ecosystem and the, the, the startups. Um, so some of the best CIOs that I work with uh, have understood that, you know, normal management strategy, which is you have a strategy to run your day-to-day -day operations, you have a strategy for continuous improvement, so upgrade to S4 HANA or the next release of, you know, whatever the cloud. Uh, those two are a given, but there's a third leg to management strategy, which is then and disrupt yourself. So, you know, just like with Google, you're not just upgrading Gmail, but then you're also working on, you know, what's going to disrupt Gmail. And there, you know, you have a totally different work system to constantly, you know, scan the, you know, tech crunch and the VC community and to do constant experiments, which are low cost, but extremely quickly. And they really do a good job of masterfully managing that third leg of the strategy. And then, you know, the third axis, which is how do you manage the users? Um, the best way to do that is, um, again, through high impact um, uh, experiments. Um, so, you know, don't just bet your entire plan on I'm going to upgrade my infrastructure to XYZ and that's going to take all my people and my money. You know, make sure that you have enough efforts and money left there for you to essentially delight the user community, you know, to give them the chatbots, to give them the capabilities that, you know, uh, bring enterprise tech more in line with consumer tech. Right? And that's really an important leg as well. Right? Um, so good CIOs do a really good job of, you know, keeping all of these balls bouncing in the air. But, you know, honestly, that's the new skill set. Um, it's not just about managing technology. It's about managing, you know, the, 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 the dynamics of expectations, the, the training of users, the training of leaders, the training of boards. Um, you know, all of that is the fascinating and wonderful role of the CIOs. Is there one thing that you have found that is, and I know there's no easy button, but if there's one thing that like CIOs or CTOs, technology leaders can do today, like right now, um, like at zero cost to the, you know, zero cost to the company, uh, well, zero budget costs to like take a step that not a lot of people are taking, like, what is that, that thing? What's like, you know, everybody's on a digital transformation. You might be, you know, at the back of the race or you might be at the front of the race, but what's something common that someone could, if they're listening right now, they could, you know, execute tomorrow. So maybe what I could do is share my own example of what I did uh, in my, you know, last three years at Procter & Gamble. I decided that, you know, as I was saying, 
you need a third leg to your business strategy. So in addition to run the operations and drive continuous improvement, you need a third leg, which is, and by the way, disrupt yourself. So do a 10x change, right? Something dramatic. And, and none of us has the money to do that. So what we did was we went to the company and said, hey, look, you know, we want to set up a really small unit. It take about 15 people out of PNG's global business services, you know, 5,000 internal headcount and 10,000 external headcount. So, you know, just take, you know, a fraction of, of a percent of FTEs. And then, you know, what we said was, with that, we're going to essentially, you know, do a Google X, but of a boring area of business services. So in other words, 10X disruption. So, and the way we did that was we said, let's take areas where you know there is a 10X opportunity, either because you're spending a lot of money or you have too many FTEs engaged in that, right? And then figure out how to make a win-win ecosystem so you're not spending a lot of money. And this is the way you do it, right? So you start with an area where you want to improve. Let's say something like, something mundane, like travel expenses. I'm sure, Ian, you know, you, like most other people, hate to create a travel expense report. I do. I really do. I, I have a business card to <laughs> quite literally ignore that fact. So I can just spend whatever's business is on the business there card, and then I know that those exactly. are expenses and nothing else. Yeah. But then, you know, once you penetrate this, you figure out that companies like Google and Adobe actually don't have travel and expense reports. Here's, here's the way they do it, which is, you know, they manage by budget. So if you're going to travel from, um, you know, Oakland to Cincinnati, you go online in the system, and the system tells you, Ian, your budget's $2,000, right? And at that point in time, you can then, you know, use your corporate card, and all of the expenses flow, and the data flows from the corporate card into the expense system. And you know you have a budget, and so employees, on an average, underspend the budget by 15 to 30%, right? And in large companies that spend hundreds of millions of dollars in this, that's a big amount, right? And the employees are happy because you don't have to create an expense report because the system can self-generate that. And then, of course, um, the company is happy because you understand. Now, executing that idea may seem like a billion dollars worth of development, but the way I did it was I went out to the venture capitalist community and said, you know, do you have startups that are able to translate uh, a travel plan into a budget and, you know, data from credit cards into a, a draft expense report and, you know, audit functionality and all that. And, and, and startups, of course, have capabilities to do that. So then I said, okay, to the startup, you know, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to actually use this in a large company like PNG, but I need you to do ABC. And then I went to the large IT service providers, so this is the IBMs and the Tartars and others, and said, I'm going to give you a unique opportunity to use PNG as a playing ground for your innovation. I'm going to give you the ideas that I need to work on. I'm going to give you the startups that have building blocks, but I'm not going to give you money to build these solutions. Um, however, if you're successful uh, in doing this, then I will give you the intellectual property to sell to others, right? And so these are creative business models where, you know, you can essentially do incredibly disruptive stuff at next to nothing in terms of cost. But you do need to have that management strategy, that third leg in your annual strategy. You can't just rely on a strategy anymore of run my operations brilliantly and drive the next upgrade of technology. You have to have that third leg of disrupt myself as well. I love that. I 
And I want to dive into the Gillette acquisition for a second because so um, so few folks have kind of managed like that size of an acquisition. Um, I'm curious, were there any things from that experience that you really kind of like raised your eyebrows a little bit from like the start of, hey, this digital transformation thing is starting to take hold. I don't know what it's going to be in the future, but boy, this, if this is how hard it is to, you know, to stitch two amazing companies together, um, you know, I couldn't imagine if I, if I didn't have the, the control kind of the levers that I do now. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things we did extremely well, of course, because we were able to exceed um, Wall Street synergy expectations of, you know, like $1.2 billion of cost synergies uh, by the work that we did. But, you know, in hindsight, I, I, I have a very, very long list of things that I wish I had done differently. Um, but the biggest learning that I got, uh, and in those days, of course, we didn't call it digital transformation and stuff like that. The biggest learning that I took away was change management. Right? Um, and um, Here's the biggest issue. I mean, here, this is why companies that are extremely successful die in industrial revolutions. They have no burning platform, right? They're making a lot of money. They, you know, uh, they understand they need to do this, this digital thing, but they don't need to essentially, you know, uh, mortgage their entire future uh, to do this, whatever this digital thing is, right? And so what happens is, a half-hearted attempt to drive change. So the, the, the big learning that I took away from the Gillette integration was how you can take, you know, what's a very positive situation. It's, it's an acquisition. It's not a burning platform where, you know, the, the Procter & Gamble company is going to go, you know, fall into deep trouble if we don't do this right. But how do you translate that into a burning platform? And what we did that was, um, we, we, we translated the goals of, of the Wall Street synergies into every day's delay is worth $3 million to the company, right? So anytime somebody said, yeah, but, you know, I cannot implement this this date because I'm launching a new product. We said, not a problem. If you're able to justify for every day's delay, the $3 million, and you're willing to actually make that case back to the PNG leadership uh, on why that makes sense, we're happy to delay one. And so um, it may seem like a small thing, but the ability to rally the organization around, um, or even when it's not a burning platform type of situation, and get them to understand the importance of you know, delivering the end goals, uh, that was, I think, maybe you know, some of the best lessons that I took away. Do you think, because Gillette was and PNG were were such product orgs, and really, I mean, by all stretches, like you know, PNG being one of like the premier leaders, organizational leadership. If I had a dollar for every guest that we had on our on our show, marketing trends that you know grew up with some level of of background in PNG and learned like product ownership from there. Do you think that that when you have such a, a product, a, a, like a culture of ownership, that it makes the digital transformation easier or harder? 
or maybe it's just both. I don't know. I think that um, the ability to leverage digital transformation is um, is more related to um, the, the the strategic uh, change adaptation capability um, of managers, and 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 less about um, you know expertise in any one given area, right? So, for example, if you have let's take a totally different example, you know, if if, if you have the post office who's very, very good at, you know, logistically delivering uh, post office mail, um, but they're not very, very good, let's say, um, you know, in a particular country of being change adaptable, then, then they suffer. Um, I think we were very fortunate, uh, I was very fortunate at Procter & Gamble and Gillette because these are two companies with an incredible heritage of longevity, of being, you know, management training grounds, of having people that you know were not just very good at marketing and at product, but they had survived and, and done extremely well over the ages, you know, decades, and in the case of PNG, more than 180 years, by being very agile, very adaptable to change, right? And so it becomes a lot easier uh, in that culture to drive digital transformation. Well, okay, so and this is and this is the reason why I ask is because it seems to me, and I, I don't mean to give. Uh, to take away some of your credit here, but um, it seems to me that if you have this strong converse, or this strong culture of ownership, accountability, an extremely strong kind of proving ground for leadership, that when you as the CIO are saying, "Hey, this is the change that's going to happen for this for this company," you have owners that can then kind of implement that change in a way that like culturally it might have been more relevant than a company that is um that maybe doesn't have as much ownership um and 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 i'm curious that also noted that the ceo is a former west point grad and i'm a west point grad so maybe i'm just steering too far into the leadership angle here but i i I think it is an interesting thing to say like some of the culture at png perhaps led to some of the successes that you had um, because people were willingness to embrace change uh, as part of, or maybe unwilling to embrace change. Again, it could be a two-way street. I don't know. Yeah. Now, I um, I unreservedly and, and fully give <laughs> my my uh, Procter and Gamble leaders and, and colleagues, um, uh, you know, all of the credit for for making much of the stuff that we did possible. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt at all that our job as technologists. Um, you know, become a lot easier when, you know, your messages fall on fertile ground. So um, ab- that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if, um, you know, I was in a totally different context in a different company, um, you know, I would have struggled with many of the things that, that I've learned um, to do uh, because, you know, Procter & Gamble as a company uh, was open to doing some of that. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing that, um, you know, if so much of what you're talking about from a digital transformation standpoint is organizational change, then you have to be, you have to build a culture that's, you know, willing to do that. But the point that I was making at the kind of the top of the show about like the fact that organizational change is one thing, but technological change is inherently difficult when it's people who don't want to 
be bothered by technology, right? Like that, thus, thus lies the crux. And so like, I, I think about like zero, zero trust framework, like what a brilliantly elegant way to look at cybersecurity or security, because you're like, we shouldn't trust any of our employees. We trust them implicitly to do their jobs, to do all that stuff, but we shouldn't trust their ability to be secure because they've proven over and over again that it's just too hard to do. It's not their fault. They don't mean to do it. But I, those are the type of things that I find so interesting from a digital transformation perspective of like, you have to take away the, um, the decision for them to even have a decision in it um, in, in a certain way that it's like, this is just where we're going. And we had... Um, we had the the CIO at Juniper Networks on that was talking about how they went to um, you know one hundred percent cloud, and that was the thing. It was just like, hey, this is where we're going. We're doing it. So like everybody's on board. You have no choice. This is where we're going, and we will get there no matter what. And I just I, I think that there's something to be said for that of like zero dissent. You know, from the leadership at the top of the organization all the way down, zero dissent. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And, and to your point earlier in the show about, you know, um, that journey becomes very difficult <laughs> if, um, you know, your board or, or maybe even some of your senior leaders aren't as um, digitally literate as you'd want them to be. You know, um, that's, a, that's a big issue. Yeah. I mean, uh, McKinsey's done, you know, a study that says that, you know, um, only one in five board men, the boards, uh, this is corporate boards, um, have the digital capabilities required to lead their organization in the future. And, and only 5% of the boards even have a digital director, right? This is an issue. Unbelievable. That's, that's remarkable. I mean, gosh, I, what's that stat for politicians? I mean, it's got to be one in 100. I mean, I, you know, I don't mean yes. to be political, but I mean, goodness gracious, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a terrifying thought. It, it is. And it becomes even more uh, horrific once you, you know, view this in the lens of this is an industrial revolution. So, this, you know, imagine you're living in England, you know, or, or Manchester back in the first industrial revolution where, you know, these machines are going to change the way of, you know, the whole world. And we're kind of struggling to understand exactly what electricity or what machine, uh, you know, a machinery can do. And, and so that's an, that's, a, that's an issue to start with. And then on top of that, then, you know, if you work in a culture where everybody has a vote, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere, right? And so this is where the ability for the organizations to, you know, whether it's top down or sideways, eventually get to clarity on this is something we're going to do. And by God, we're going to get it done. It becomes so important to success. It's a great point. Your, your company is not a market, right? Like you're not, it's not like you have, you know, I mean, you do have like early adopters and then you have the middle and then you have the long tail. You, you do have those things, but it's not a choice, right? It's, it's, a, it, you're, you're dictating that this is, you know, where we're going as a company. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, and to the technological piece in the industrial revolution, I mean, like we're talking about, um, I was listening to Ben Thompson talk about this uh, the other day on his podcast where you know, he's saying like, we went from, you know, no internet to, you know, compute being at a big, at a big place where you'd have to go to compute being at a computer, but it's still at a desk to now compute being in your pocket everywhere. 
And I just don't think we've even begun to fathom what having compute everywhere you go means for like the knowledge workers of the future, right? Is like, it's insane. And so, you know, if, if your strategy doesn't take into account the fact that the new rules say that everyone has compute everywhere, wherever they go, all the time, 24-7, then you're not going to have a digital strategy that's going to be competitive um, because for sure your competitors are going to do that or, or startups or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is also the difference between the fourth industrial revolution and, you know, at least some of the, the earlier ones, the first and the second. The earlier ones, you know, you, you might have had one or two industries, right? So, you know, if you happen to be in the railroad industry or the textile industry, you know, the world was going to change. But, you know, if you were in shipping, maybe not so much, right? Um, the difference in the fourth industrial revolution is digital is a technology that eats the physical, so IoT kind of stuff, right? The, the biological, so, you know, think in terms of genetics, and then the social, think in terms of Facebook, right? So this is the difference in this industrial revolution. This isn't about one technology. It's a horizontal change that sweeps every technology, right, uh, into the future. And so if you don't approach it as an existential, both an opportunity as a th- and, and as a threat, I mean, the good thing about industrial revolutions is that you have exponential winners and unfortunately exponential losers too, but you have to view that in that context. And therefore, you know, all of the, the points you're making about, you have to be decisive about this. This isn't a time to waffle. <laughs> you know, you have to approach this as an organization change. You have to, you know, really uh, think of this as a capability that, you know, the CIO can lead it, but, you know, every function in the company has got to figure out how their job is going to change. Uh, this is the only way you're going to be successful. All right, let's get into our lightning round. I love the conversation. I could do this for hours. Uh, it's been it's been it's been a blast, Tony. But we got some lightning round questions for you. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation. Hey, there you go. Digital transformation of every experience. Go to Salesforce.com/slash platform to learn more about them. We love them. They've been here since the very, very beginning of IT Visionaries. uh, And uh, you should check them out if you haven't. Lightning round questions. Tony, are you ready? Absolutely. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? The one that's most fun on my phone is (laughs) basically Google Maps. I absolutely love it. I I go way beyond, you know, using this for uh, directions. I use it uh, as, as a way to play games on, you know, which two Japanese restaurants that I love are closest to each other. So you can do a lot with it. What's your hidden talent or passion? My hidden talent is um, uh, carpentry, woodwork. Um, I've renovated basements. I have built cabinets. Um, you know, I... Um, I guess if I wasn't in the technology field, I might have been a carpenter. I mean, I'd say you are a carpenter. There you go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? My favorite thing to eat is any form of chocolate, but I absolutely love, um, you know, the the lava cakes, right, of of any shape and form. Um, My favorite thing to cook 
is is Chinese food. I I um, it's it's easy to make. Um, I I love it. I I know it's a, a broad brush cuisine, but uh, I love every form of it. What is your best advice for a first time CIO? Um, my best advice to a first uh, to a started CIO is to take your first three months to understand the business. Um, we're in the game of transforming the business, uh, not of applying technology. And uh, the relationships and the understanding that you're building uh, are going to make you successful longer term. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? You know, can I get you um, tickets to Hamilton? Ah, oh, that is a good one. Have you seen it? <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> I, I I love it. It's it's a great play. My fiance and my my mother uh, tell me about it all the time. I'm I'm like, hey, I'm at work, you know. No, I just I they they all went with like their friends and all that stuff and all separately. And I'm kind of like, hey, what about what about Ian? <laughs> Tony, thanks so much for coming on. Any final thoughts, anything to plug? Well, I should say everyone should check out Transformant. It's just transformant.io. We'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, you know, if, if you need some uh, some help with your digital transformation, uh, obviously you just listen to Tony for an hour, you know he's the real deal. Uh, so so check that out. And, and he has a bunch of stuff. Uh, check out Why Digital Transformations Fail, his book, highly recommend. It's on Amazon. We'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, Tony, anything else? No, I just want to say thank you very much. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Ian. And, and um, I think it's, it's, it's been a blast and, and wish you all the best on the show. Awesome. Take care. You too. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.